Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. everybody and welcome to another episode of 30 minutes to president's club i am your host nick sigelski and i am joined with my wonderful co-host jen allen knuth and today we have taylor core the head of smb and mid-market sales over at quantcast jen why should people listen so our most precious to salespeople is our time. It's also our most finite. Taylor's going to take us through exactly how he coaches his team so that they don't get lost in activities that take away from revenue generation. We've got a great episode for you today. And a three, a two, a one, listen on 3x speed to make it through even faster. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Taylor, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. So tip number one is proactive organization. The best reps that I have ever coached and be successful know exactly who they're going to call and email before they even open their laptop in the morning. Not too much work, not too little work, just right. Beautiful. What's tip number two? Tip number two is protecting your time. Account executive roles are really complex. We have a lot of asks for our time, both internally and externally, but our main responsibility is to our core revenue and our core role. So making sure 
that you have enough time blocked out to accomplish what you need to do during the day before you commit yourself to other asks. Very nice. Round us out. What's tip number three? Tip number three is golden hours, which is a term some of you might have heard before. Every rep has that time of day where they are the most energetic. They can commit the most mental resources and energy uh, to what needs to get done. And it also overlaps typically with when your prospects and your clients are most available. You need to ruthlessly protect that time for revenue generating activities uh, and make sure that you don't get meetings plastered over when you're most productive. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one you mentioned, proactive organization, something I struggled with all of the time. So you said before you shut down your laptop for the day, you are planning tomorrow, break us down. How do you approach that planning? How do you decide what comes first, second, third? How do you prioritize that? Sure. So I think one of the main challenges in, in an AE role is, yes, you want to be doing outbound activities, you want to be prospecting, but things just get in the way. Client asks, uh, internal asks, fires, wh whatever it may be. So the best way that I have found personally as an AE and, and with AEs that I coach to get around that is to make sure you already know what you're doing and that you know what a successful day looks like. So at the end of the day, if you're looking at your next day and you say, hey, a great day for me is... 30 cold emails or 50 cold calls or, or whatever that may be, that that's already blocked out for you. You likely should have a calendar block already made, whether it's in the morning or the midday, again, whenever your golden hours are, but you know what a successful day is. So if you get a last minute proposal that comes in, a, an urgent ask from your boss, something from a client, you can work around those blocks and you already know what you need to get done instead of being in reactive mode in the morning. Okay, so what is the saying, eat the frog, swallow the frog, do something to the frog? Are you of that belief, like start with the thing that you're dreading or how do you think about what you start with each day? Person, that's a great question. Personally, I'm not because I think it really correlates again with when you have the best energy for these kinds of things. So it doesn't make sense to do cold calls in the morning, for instance, if you are not a morning person and you're going to not show up your best on the calls. I've had... Really, and, and I am a morning person. I say that as a morning person who likes to cold call in the morning, but I've had reps I've coached who have been really successful saying, yeah, hey, you know what? It aligns with my territory. It aligns with when I'm in the best mood, I've digested lunch, it's 3 p.m. Now I'm going to do my cold calls. I think it's more important that you've set outside, you've set aside the time and you know when you're going to do it versus maybe taking a difficult to easy approach. That might work for some reps. I think you should match it to your energy. I want to go back to this end of day sort of shutdown planning routine that you're doing. So what I heard from you is you're saying, okay, I know that I need to make X number of cold calls and Y number of emails, and I need to progress these three deals tomorrow. So I'm going to block time on my calendar to make sure that I have adequate time to do those things. My guess is that is not the only thing that's happening at the end of the day. Are you doing other things as it relates to clearing the email inbox, getting other tasks organized, communicating with colleagues? Are there other things you recommend salespeople do to wrap their day so that the next day is more effective? Definitely. And I think it depends on what kind of tools you're using to organize yourself or, or within your sales day. For a long time, maybe for my first six, nine months in sales, I just used notebook paper and it, it, it was absolutely wild. It was, a, it was a list of basically everyone I was calling on and little, yeah, but it was like squares and triangles and check marks and X's and all this weird symbology. Um, <laughs> I don't recommend that. But, you know, let's take a sales engagement platform like an outreach, a sales loft, a groove. They have phenomenal tools to really set up a, a really successful day. And I actually think about those platforms mostly as organizational tools, not as content tools, because as we know, a lot of the emails that are housed in there aren't terrific. 
but they can do a phenomenal job setting up your day for success. So you can do certain things within that, whether that is setting up the emails that are gonna go out in the morning. Uh, maybe you want to sprinkle in a little more research to some of the, the emails. Maybe you want to double check on some of the auto emails that are going out to make sure they are carrying the same messaging that, that you wanted to, right? There, there's things like that. And, and maybe, you know, if you want to do some of your like pitch or demo prep work the night before, again, I think this is going to correlate with your, with your golden hours when you're most productive. But my whole philosophy as a rep was whatever I could do to remove work from the following day that I knew I could do the day before. So call prep research is a perfect example of that. I wanted to clear up my day as much as possible. I didn't know what was going to come up. But if I was then clearing up for the next day, I was then getting the next step on the day after that even as well. So it just was a virtuous cycle. Cool. It sounds like you're kind of removing the excuses that Taylor of tomorrow would bring up for not being able yeah. to get things done, which I love. That's so exactly it. <laughs> so then let's talk about like a very realistic thing, right? You, you close down your laptop, you've got your plan, you're ready, you're squared to go. And then you wake up and somebody's making an ask of your time, which you deep in your gut know is not core to your ability to generate revenue. How do you push back in a way that still feels, I guess, helpful or doesn't make you feel kind of icky about it? Yeah. So I think there's a hierarchy of where those asks are coming from and, and how you might deal with them, right? There are the client asks that are priority one, right? I think when we talk about time block and we talk about organization, it's tricky, right? Because it can't come at the expense of, hey, this is the biggest deal I have in pipeline for my quarter, or here's a, ch a champion conversation that I absolutely need to have, or or XYZ, especially towards the end of quarter, this gets particularly tricky. So for me, when it was something external, it was kind of a prioritization piece. And by the way, I was never blocking my calendar for more than, say, an hour at a time. I think one trap that reps can fall into is thinking, I always got to be available because something's got to come up. One hour in general, especially if you've got like your manager looped in on the deal or somebody else, nothing's going to happen. No nothing's going to burn down. So I think that's one thing, right? If, if reps are thinking they're going to block out three hours of the day, day at once and tackle a bunch of stuff, I don't know that, if that's realistic in an AE role. So I, I was always prioritizing, making sure that before and after that time block, I, I was checking in on some of the client stuff, making sure, hey, checking with the internal team, what's coming up. It, it's different internally, I think, when those asks come up. And I don't know if you were asking about that as well, Jen. Yeah. So like, you know, let's say you got a founder who pops in your inbox and says, I want to do an exercise on last quarter's closed lost opportunities, right? Not to say it's not helpful, but it's not part of the plan. Yeah. These take all different shapes and forms. And especially when you are a top performer, when you are more tenured, when you have more visibility in the org, which are also great things. There's a lot of people that come after your time, want to hear from you, want to learn from you. And so there's a couple th things to think about there. When I think about because you know, I was in that position, I'd been for three years in AE at, at Quantcast. And so, you know, towards the end of that, I was maybe the most tenured person on the floor. And, you know, a lot of uh, times there would be asked coming in my direction for maybe it was project work from a, like a product team or, or a founder or something like that, or just a younger rep who, who was asking for, for help with stuff. So I think there's a, a couple ways to think about that. Um, one kind of cool concept that I came across as a manager was this concept of being a connector manager. And this applies to being an AE as well. But if you're a connector manager, you're not helping your reps with every question that, that they come to you with. You are helping to direct them to resources and connecting them with other people internally who can be a great resource. So that is one great tactic I love using internally. Like, hey, Mary is exceptional at that pitch. You should talk with Mary. Hey, John knows the outreach platform in and out. You should chat with him about that. It helps build really cool connections internally. It helps to uh, broaden someone's uh, 
competency network internally and, and helps other people share their knowledge and, and kind of boost their profile. So one is kind of being a, a connector manager. The other thing I think that helps is people around you should know when you're blocking out your time and when you are setting aside those golden hours. In particular, my manager always knew like, okay, well, Taylor's doing calls from seven to eight because he just loves doing that. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave him be. Maybe you signal that with your headphones in. Maybe you tell your pod or your account team to say, hey, hey guys, here's what I'm going to be doing at this time every day. This is what I'm trying to, if there's proactive stuff like text me or, or something, but the more you can start to set that expectation uh, internally, yeah, maybe a founder who's uh, emailing you out of the blue might not know that, but the more people who are kind of aware of when you do this stuff, they either see you making calls or they see you heads down, that can add to kind of setting walls around that time as well. I think there's a perception. So I'm sitting here thinking about one, how much I sucked at this as a rep, but two, I think there's this perception if you say no, you're seen as difficult. But as you were describing that, it almost feels like if a founder comes to you and says, hey, drop of the hat, I want you to do this. And your pushback to them is no, because I've dedicated this time to making sure I am committed to doing the activities that are going to get me to my goal. I think a lot of that fear is in our heads, right? I, as a founder, I would love to hear that, right? I'd love to hear that you are pushing back on me because you want to make sure you talk to customers that day. So that answer is really, really cool to me. So then let's say you are on a team where you are totally remote, right? And people can't see your headphones in and people don't, maybe aren't looking at your Slack status or whatever. Are you putting these things on your calendar? I know you talked about doing these things in like a sales engagement platform, but I guess if you're running into issues with people constantly interrupting you, what are some things that you're doing to protect yourself against that? Sure. And remote, I actually find is easier in, in a lot of ways. I do, and I did block my calendar. That's part of the process the, the night before. And I should mention that earlier, but if I know I'm going to be making calls at this time and I've been now as a manager, I've gotten even more prescriptive where I block off the time in my calendar when I'm going to be checking facts and emails. And the other time I actually, you know, now with the iPhone and stuff, you can set up the custom profiles and only my child's daycare and my wife can, can break through my phone, you know, yeah. during, during those times. So I'm really, again, you know, I'm, I'm really hyper-organized because I have to be. And again, for an AE role where people are in your inbox and your socks all the time and often it's kind of just, you don't even need to pay attention to anyways. It's an announcement from the marketing team or it's a, hey, do this training later or, but they're just not urgent. And if you let those, I know like the psychology element of this is if you break your focus, it takes what, seven minutes to get back to focus tasks, something like that. The more you eliminate that, right? If you're trying to send 30 cold emails and you let yourself keep being drawn away by slacks and emails, well, all of a sudden, right, that, that 30 emails that was going to take you 40 minutes is now going to take you an hour and a half. And so you're actually losing more time by responding to those check-ins. So circling back to your question about how to do it remotely, I, again, don't block out three hours where you're just unreachable and, and no one can connect mm -hmm. with you, but it's certainly fine to set that up for an hour and turn on do not disturb and not let anything through and, and just get your stuff done, right? And so people might not know that you're doing that, but if they have to wait 40 minutes for a Slack response, that's certainly reasonable. I mean, you're totally right, Taylor. I talk to salespeople who pride themselves on their immediate responsiveness. Client emails them and they're like, email back within two minutes. I'm the best salesperson. And they end up getting ping-ponged all across their, they're going from Slack to email. Oh, I got a LinkedIn message. Oh, I got a text message. And you can never <laughs> really focus on the important stuff that you need to get done. And it's that, that thing that they take pride in, which is their extreme responsiveness, is actually hurting them more than it helps. 
And one thing that I did to solve for this was I had those same concerns in my head where I'm always worried that a customer is going to email me something and I don't get back to them for 90 minutes and they're going to think, what the heck, this isn't good. So I added to my email signature and I added to my Slack status, it says something along the lines of, well, actually, I'll just pull it up. I have it right here. Uh, in order to improve my productivity and effectiveness, I'm only checking email when for Slack. It says Slack at periodic times throughout the day. If you need me faster, call me at, and then I insert my phone number right there. And so that's in my email signature. That. It's on my Slack status. And the idea is if folks really need to get a hold of me, if it's urgent, call me. And otherwise, I'm just going to respond at those batch times in between those blocks of focus. I'm curious from your perspective, I want to go into the the daily battle rhythm of a salesperson, because you've got AEs on your team, Taylor, who they've got to balance prospecting, creating new pipeline. They've got to balance showing demos, going through proposals, negotiating with customers, trying to multi-thread. They've got internal stuff going on, new product release that they need to get up to speed on. If I'm a salesperson and I've got all of these things going on, how do you coach your salespeople to run through their day? Are there specific orders of operations that you recommend? I know you have the golden hours matched to your energy level, but are there other recommendations for making sure that you get the most critical things done on a daily, weekly basis as a seller? That's that's a great question. And I think part of the easy, I think, trap to fall into sometimes with sales leadership is me or another leader having an idea of what I think good is without communicating that very specifically to the team. I think, you know, often when managers are promoted, they were top performers and did things a certain way and just inherently think, hey, well, that's how the team is going to do it because this makes logical sense, right? And that was a trap I certainly fell into my first couple of years as a manager of just, well, hey, why don't you know how to do this? Because this is what a successful sales day looks like, right? So it's about being, I think, really specific and your team should understand both from a, a KPI perspective, but also as you're mentioning, a priority perspective, right? In terms of, hey, if you've got you know, a demo you're supposed to run here, but then you've got, you know, client discovery stuff to get out. And then you got to follow up with this client. What is that order of operations, right? And so our frontline manager group is really strong at communicating and uh, reiterating those expectations in terms of, you know, it's going to be different for each org, right? But for us, you know, we kind of look at, hey, these deals are in pipeline at this point in the process. And so we know, hey, you're going to skip internal meetings to go deal with this kind of thing, right? That's an expectation internally. It's like, don't show up to our all hands. Don't show up to this pitch practice. Get that thing done or work on that thing with the client, right? So first off, and it's reiterated from the top, even above me all the way down. It's like, don't show up to the internal meeting if you've got a client call or a client deliverable for one of these in-process deals, right? And then because, you know, there's enough, we don't have a ton of internal meetings, there's enough time in the day, kind of outbounding and then proactive stuff. Hopefully that should be on your calendar ahead of time, but that shouldn't interact, that shouldn't overlap or kind of take the place of some of the internal expectations that, that you do have as a team. Like you said, like, hey, pitch practice is really important, right? We're having all hands because we do want to communicate something important to the team. These huddles we have in, in our team meetings, these are still important things, right? On the hierarchy, though, it's going to be you know that client stuff. And then, hey, here's we're not putting a lot of internal stuff on your calendar, but this is valuable time we want to spend with you. And then at the bottom, it's it's kind of, hey, you've already scheduled this, this cold outbounding. But if something's going to be made up later, you can do the cold outbounding later. It's harder to go back on a client thing or harder to go back on, on an internal thing that you missed. Can you talk to me about some of the activity metrics and expectations that you have and maybe give some context for the type of sale that your team is going through? Yeah. 
So the team I oversee at Quantcast Corporate Sales, we're uh, a mid-market and SMB hybrid. So we cover uh, a large swath of marketing land. And so we have some clients that are Fortune 500. We have some that are small 20-something chains in a specific region of the country. So we have both kind of expectations and how we might approach some of the mid-market accounts, as well as for the bulk of our outreach, those SMB accounts. So right now for a hybrid ramped seller, they're going to be hitting that 30 email, 30 call a day, which I know sounds like for a typical kind of inside sales uh, team. But we also want to look a layer beyond that, right? I think, again, if we're talking about just sales leadership in general, one of the big challenges, I think, is the ask for more, just the, hey, more calls, hey, more emails. It's one of the reasons we don't have a really high activity expectation on a daily basis, because we want the focus to be on quality and want we want there to be intentionality behind those calls and emails. So we don't want the basically the approach to be, hey, I'm sending 30 emails to hit 30 emails in the dashboard. I'm sending 30 emails to get 30 responses. And so we look at other stuff, you know, kind of back in terms of how many unique accounts are we getting to and how deep are we going on those accounts, both at a contact and an account level. So we can try and measure it. It's always the push and pull on quantity and quality whenever you talk about sales metrics. But we want to incorporate some of these other metrics, like how reach consistency, like how deep we're going on accounts so we can get a better view about how a rep, especially in the mid-market, is working through some of these. Can you talk to me about how the group thinks about that? Because that's an area that I've screwed up in the past where I've got 400 accounts in my patch, but and I'm hitting my activity metrics, right? I'm ripping 30 dials a day. I'm sending 30 personalized emails a day, and I feel great about that. But then if I look at my patch, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going after the same accounts again and again and again, or the same people again and again and again. Talk to me about the depth that you go into for an account, and then maybe we can talk about the breadth of how you work a territory in full. Sure. I've had a lot of fun with this over the last four and a half years in this role, helping to build out a really more mature quantitative structure for how we coach sales teams. The org, I guess five, six years ago, it was very much just calls and emails. And, you know, that volume-based approach in a prior selling world did work to a certain extent. And and we could paint kind of a, a picture of calls and emails going up, generally new business conversations going up. That relationship you know, has broken down for, for a lot of sales orgs, obviously. So like what you're saying, so we actually opened up our entire sales territory. So all 25 reps on our team can call in the entire United States. And we did that to promote a little more creativity, more list turnover, and give reps the freedom. Like you're saying, like, I don't want to give them one patch that they're repeatedly hitting over and over and banging their head against the wall. Seasonality, different triggers with different accounts, or if you disqualify something, we want you to continue moving on that. So we look at the whole picture. We look at, you know, how many accounts are in someone's name, how fresh that list is, how much they've turned it over, how many new accounts are within those or new contacts are within those accounts to make sure there's enough breadth and variety within those accounts. And we have guidelines kind of along all those. We set up kind of bumpers like, hey, you should be aiming for roughly this amount of, you know, people at the account and roughly this many accounts. And here's our ICP. But we really want to encourage as much autonomy as possible with our reps. And it's a really tough push and pull. We know, for example, and our leadership has you know, pulled this out for us, like at an org-wide level, if we have more calls and emails and, and more unique accounts being touched, we are gonna get more new business conversations. But at an individual level, I have not seen that to be true. A good example, this was two quarters ago, our two top new business meeting generators, one of them sent 800 emails, one of them sent 2,500 emails. I've seen that kind of, hold true quarter over quarter because people have different sales strengths and it's important to be able to allow for those strengths 
introduces a lot of challenges as a, as a sales manager and a sales leader, because taking a more holistic approach is not easy. It's really easy to just look at the dashboard and say, hey, why aren't you hitting your numbers? Why aren't you hitting your numbers? So it adds more of an onus on, on the leadership group, but we've seen better results saying, okay, well, you still need to drive results. We're not letting you totally off the hook for, for calls and emails and activity, but maybe we can take a little more of a holistic approach and allow for your style to show through and how you're approaching these accounts. So Taylor, my question for you, one of the things that we were talking about earlier was the idea of ruthlessly protecting your time. You're saying no to things that aren't a good use of your time. And you're saying it in a way where it's like, hey, actually, you should connect with Jen because she's an expert at cold email. Like she's actually a lot better than me. I recommend you work with her. So you're saying no to a lot of things that aren't going to move the needle as much for you, or maybe even like your career. One of the things we were talking about on the pre-show is if you want to get promoted, if you want to move up in your organization, my guess is you can't just be, all right, I'm heads down, cold calling and cold emailing all day. My guess is there's <laughs> certain types of things that you intentionally take on to get visibility and move up in the org. And I'm curious about like what things you recommend folks either say yes to or go seek out so that they can move up. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I know there's a lot of hesitancy for reps to to give a flat no. It feels weird and feels like you're a jerk. A couple things to remember. And I think the first thing to remember, a no can always become a yes, but a yes can't really become a no. It's much harder to agree to help someone with something and then go back on that versus saying no, they probably still want your help uh, at a later date or at a later time. So that's why I always say default to no, because if you kind of panic and give an answer, or, or if you're not sure and you give an answer, you can always reverse the no, almost always, right? It's uh, maybe not unless it's urgent, but in most cases, you can reverse that. So I think that's one important thing for, for reps to remember. The other thing that I talk about with our reps is knowing what you want to say yes to. For example, you know, where are your strongest competencies or your strongest passions as a rep? Over time, I started to you know, identify with the manager role and knew I wanted to get into leadership. So the things I was going to start to say yes to correlated more with what could help expose me to some of the, the manager type responsibilities. Maybe that was helping out with interviews. Maybe that was certain projects that my manager was working on that I wanted to say yes to. But you know, if you've got 10 asks, which of those align with something you're really good at or something you really want to do? And, and so then you kind of have a framework in your mind of saying, hey, here's something I actually really want to help with. I always had a really strong passion for, you know, because we let reps edit and add to their own account lists. I love building account lists. I love finding diamonds in the rough. That was something that just got me absolutely jazzed. So that was something I also said yes to. I loved helping people with that sort of ask. So I would think about that if it's a mundane ask, like, how do I do this in Salesforce? Maybe that doesn't get you all excited. Those are the kind of things that maybe you say, hey, uh, hey, I, actually, someone else can help with that. Or, hey, is your manager available? I, I'm kind of tied up right now. I think when you devote your energy to the stuff that you're really good at or you really want to learn about, you'll find that those asks actually are additive to your day instead of sapping your energy. Okay, so Taylor, the last thing that I want to ask about in this interview, we were talking in the pre-show about the idea of being busy versus being productive. And I'd be curious to hear your take on things that you see salespeople doing that keep them busy. They're working really, really hard, but don't actually move the needle and they should probably stop doing. What are some of the things you're seeing? Yeah. So as we talked about before, saying yes to the wrong things is a, is a really easy way to fall into that trap. A rep needs help with something that you're not necessarily an expert in. It's not really related to your role. That's the easiest way to fall into the busy versus productive bucket, right? But then there's a lot of things that feel like, hey, because we are interacting with a client or because I'm sending emails or making calls, 
I am contributing to my sales day. I mean, it's really hard for a sales rep to take a step back and say, hey, is this actually a revenue generating activity? Is this going to lead to positive results for me in my role? If marketing sends you a eh, not great email, which marketing always writes wonderful emails, so that's probably not the case, but are you just blasting that to your you know, client base, your prospect base, just to get touch points and say, hey, I, I got on the dashboard. That's a really good example of busy work that's not really going to move the needle for you. You're going to get asks internally from cross-functional teams that need input on stuff and rushing to, to add to that. Again, that's busy. You think you're helping the team, but you're really taking away time from what you want to accomplish in your core role. Um, so I think it's important to take a step back, use your manager or another accountability buddy on the team to think through like, hey, what are the main KPIs, main OKRs that I should be working towards and really think and take a step back. Again, it's really hard to do. It takes a lot of practice. Say, hey, those 20 emails that I sent this time that I spent working on this deck for this yeah. client that's not even in our ICP, yeah. are those serving me at, at the very highest level. So that, that's an exercise we could probably talk about for some time, but it requires a lot of self-introspection. If you can find a buddy who can help you out with that, maybe it's your manager, great. Yeah. But I see that a, a lot on the floor as a bad habit. Totally. I mean, there's two things that I'll add to that. One, which is the idea of, I see a lot of salespeople use the wrong tool for the job. This actually came up at 30 Minutes to President's Club the other day, where we got an email from one of our customers with like two or three different questions in it. And I was sitting there with our head of customer success and we were trying to figure out how we were going to respond to that email. And we were like typing and typing and I'm like, you know what? Nope. So I looked the person's number up. I called that person <laughs> and I ended up having a six minute conversation where we got so much more communicated bi-directionally than had we sent that email. And so I think a lot of salespeople spin their wheels using the wrong tool for the job. One mm -hmm. other thing that I will also add is I saw this quote on LinkedIn. Someone talked about, as a salesperson, you need to spend less time reporting the news and more time making the news. And I think there's a lot of salespeople that spend time doing things that are internal, like formatting their sales notes or making sure that every last element of the CRM is updated. And don't get me wrong, that stuff is important to a degree, but there's a diminishing return to the amount of work that you do reporting the news. And you want to spend as much as time possible talking to customers, scheduling time with customers. Customer interaction is how you actually close deals, not all this stuff that happens on the back end. But it's so easy to get sucked into that. Jen, I bet you've got a perspective also on some things salespeople could shit. I mean, the big one was preparation. And y'all know, like, I am all in favor of preparation. I, it makes me sick to myself to think about being ill-prepared for a call. But... As an example, back when I was an AE, I would have SDRs who would hand me these like 12 page prep packs with, you know, the performance of every SKU in the business. And it's like, I don't need this. Why did you go through this level? And when you really get down to it, it was like, because that made me feel like I didn't have to make cold calls because I could say, look at all this work I did. So I think it's kind of Nick in that same category of like, you have to do the right work, but don't convince yourself by doing more of it that the outcome is better. Half the time that stuff didn't even get used. Boom. Beautiful. Well, we talked about the bad habit people should stop doing in sort of a weird final question way. So I'm going to have to change the final question today, Taylor, which I <laughs> rarely, rarely do. I don't think I've done it in probably 200 episodes now. <laughs> the final question is going to be this for you today. We talked about all sorts of things salespeople should be doing within their job to be a better salesperson. My last question for you today is what's one thing that salespeople should add to their daily or weekly or monthly routine 
that's unrelated to what happens in the job, but that will make them a better salesperson. Yeah, and I've got a specific name for this one, the long reply technique. Building cross-functional relationships is tough. It's often time-consuming. You got to sit down and have meetings, or you got to you know contribute to a project, or there's a lot of stuff that can go into that, or don't eat lunch alone, all this different stuff. It's all adding up a lot of time. I think the highest ROI on your time for building cross-functional relationships is looking for opportunities to contribute five, 10 minutes to an ask that most people are not going to respond to. Perfect example, your product marketing team sends you an email and says, hey, we've got a question about this material, you know, that how's it been received by clients? Or your product team sends you something about, hey, who is talking about this in market? Or someone asks a question about a competitor. Could be any number of things like that. Most people do not respond to that email. Sales will typically just archive it and put it to the side, right? Which again, protect your time. But if you can find five minutes to write a constructive piece of feedback, you might not have something, but if you do, spending the five minutes to add some notes, maybe it's a Slack huddle, maybe it's a quick five minutes, stands out. And it doesn't take a 30-minute hour-long sit-down with that team. It just requires you, again, setting aside that time, maybe after you've done with your golden hours and all your productive, you know, outbounding to just say, you know what, I can add a little value to this team without taking me totally out of my normal day. And I've seen that be really successful in helping reps establish their profile and their visibility internally. Boom. I love it. I love it. You're saying no to a lot of things so that when you get the occasional thing that you can knock out the park, you have that time to knock that thing out the park. This is beautiful. Taylor, thank you for joining us. Amazing episode. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes.
Your top four actionable takeaways from Taylor Core. Number one, use the last 20 minutes of your workday to plan for the day ahead. Map out the calls you're going to make, the emails you're going to send, and plan out the time blocks that you're going to protect on your calendar. So you have a plan going into the next day. Number two is default to saying no. Do not let random requests distract you from your job, which is creating new pipeline and advancing current pipeline, generating revenue. Number three, match your activity to your energy level. If you're high energy in the afternoon, use that time to cold call. Don't drag yourself through it in the morning. And number four, avoid interruptions by blocking your time in one hour increments. The non-urgent requests can wait until the top of the hour. Boom. Beautiful. Jen, now I'm going to ask you, how can people help 30 Minutes to President's Club out? You can subscribe to the 30 Minutes to President's Club newsletter called Boring Emails. There's a link down in the show notes to do so. Beautiful. Jen, thank you. Everybody, stick around. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes.